the story of Christ's words with the thief on the cross underscores a promise of forgiveness that closes our church here and reminds us of the primary work of the gospel in our lives and relationships. The Reverend S.D. Cantor delivered this sermon on Christ the King Sunday, November 25th, 2007, at Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, today we celebrate Christ the King Sunday. This is the very last Sunday of the church year before Advent, when we all await the coming of the King. Now, as we heard in our Old Testament reading and even in one of our hymns, all through the Old Testament, the prophets kept speaking of a king, a messiah, a savior, who would come and keep them safe, who would be victorious in battle. Well, as we say in Godly Play, the people were waiting for a king, but the king who came was not the kind of king that they expected. In the Gospel of Luke, the Messiah is what they call the baby in the manger. The old man Simeon, at the dedication at the temple, calls him the Christ child. Even the demons seem to see that he is the Messiah. And then finally, of course, Peter confesses, you are the Messiah, the Holy One of God. They are talking about the anointed one, and anointing is what happened to a king. Well, the taunts flung at Jesus by the soldiers tell us the same thing. The sign above his head. Many times in this reading, we hear the words Savior, Messiah, King. But it seems that the king that we see in our story of today has absolutely no powers left except for the power of forgiveness. And he uses that power touchingly twice. First of all, seeming to forgive everyone who brought him to that day of crucifixion. And secondly, forgiving the thief crucified to his side by saying, today you will be with me in paradise. Like any king, he's able to give pardon. He's able to execute a stay of execution in a spiritual sense. He is able to transport the wretched to paradise. Now, I think this is great news for those of us who are wretched in our unforgiveness or wretched in our state of being unforgiven. And what seems more comforting still to me is that all the thief has to say to Jesus is, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I led a women's retreat several years ago, and the subject was forgiveness. It was really remarkable that almost every single woman there, including myself, had a major issue about forgiveness with her brother. So perusing the Bible at the time, I was able to find a startlingly specific suggestion in the Gospel of Luke. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Chapter 17, verse 3. Well, many of us, including myself, were still in the agonizing phase of rebuking. Some hadn't even gotten that far, but none of us had gotten to the forgiving stage. Well, as for my story, as a child, my brother had a lot of energy and was frequently very frustrated. 
I was later to find out that it was because he was something of a mad creative genius trapped in the body of a small, awkward child. But anyway, I was the one that got the brunt of that frustration. He hit me often and pretty hard. My oldest brother, who was very kind, could not seem to control him, neither could my parents. He continued to pummel me until I was 15. By that time, I had a boyfriend, and the boyfriend went to my brother and said, if you ever hit Esty again, you'll be very sorry. Well, to my delight, my brother wasn't interested in challenging someone closer to his own size, and so the punishment ended at that time. Well, slowly after that, I began to have something of a normal relationship with him. But then he left home, and I left home, and we both got very busy in the glory of being away from our family of origin, and that had been the source of a lot of the frustration. <clears throat> he persevered bravely in the difficult calling of being a documentary filmmaker, which I did for only a limited amount of time. He won numerous Emmys. He was nominated for an Academy Award. His shows were on network TV, but I couldn't be bothered to watch them because I didn't have a television. He was now out of the country filming more often than he was in the country. I now see it was very ironic that already I, I felt that I was ready to forgive him for beating me up for 10 years of my childhood, but I could not forgive him his glorious success on top of the fact that he would never answer my emails. So on one of my annual trips to the East Coast where most of my family lives, I did not visit or call my brother. I spent two days visiting my father, who lives five minutes from my brother, but I did not call my brother. My husband and I went up to New York and saw the sights, went back to Baltimore and visited my niece, the daughter of my brother. I asked my niece not to say anything about the visit, and I knew she wouldn't. But when I asked my father not to say anything about the visit, I realized that it was like asking Pavarotti not to sing. And so when I got back, I got an email from my brother. He was very hurt that I had not contacted him during my visit, even though he hadn't initiated contact with me for years. Well, at that women's retreat, I had a revelation. I realized that if my brother were handicapped, if he was confined to a wheelchair, I wouldn't hesitate to walk down a flight of stairs to greet him. Well, in his inability to initiate contact with me, I realized that although it was more subtle, it was really a kind of handicap. Well, I realized that I was not willing to let him sit down at the bottom of the stairs anymore, but that on my trip to the East Coast, that's exactly what I had done. But I now saw that adding injury to his handicap was hurting us both. So I went to my spiritual director, and I said I was going to have to try to forgive my brother, but I had no idea how to go about doing it. He first told me to start praying for my brother, sincerely, without judgment. This was very hard at first. And initially I said something like, okay, God, I'm praying for my expletive deleted brother. <laughs> but it got easier with time. When I was finally able to pray for my brother without using questionable language, I asked my spiritual director, what's the next step? He said, show him hospitality. Communicate to him with love. Compliment him. Tell him you love him. Well, this was even more difficult, and I did nothing for several weeks. But during those several weeks, I realized that without even knowing it, every single communication I had with him, even those neglected emails, carried a subtext of resentment, carried no compliments or graciousness, and I certainly didn't say I love you.
So I finally threw caution to the wind, and I wrote him a loving email. I apologized for the fact that I had seen almost none of his films. I asked him if he would possibly be willing to send me some of them so I could see them. I told him how proud I was of him for all his successes, and I signed it, Love, Esty. I hit the send button, and I expected never to hear from him again, as usual. But a reply came back with dizzying speed. He told me he was having a package sent to me containing all of his DVDs so that I could watch him. He told me fun stories about actors he was worth working with and prop and costume problems he was having in Europe. He never again mentioned my failure to contact him while I was in town. And I began to realize that in the act of forgiveness, both the forgiver and the forgiven get to climb down from the cross. I read in a recent poll three things that people most want to hear in their lives. Number one, as you might imagine, is, I love you. Number two is, I forgive you. And number three is, supper is ready. <laughs> These are three things that Jesus promises. And I think if people thought that that's what they would get if they walked into these churches, I think they would flood in like the Feast of the 5,000. Because when we're loved, when we're forgiven, when we're fed spiritually as well as physically, we get a taste of that paradise that Jesus promised the thief. Lately, I've been hearing the words of Jesus in an unexpected place. The poetry of Jalaluddin Rumi, who was a 13th century mystic, a Sufi. In this poem of forgiveness that he wrote, the essence of what Jesus was saying to the thief and the essence of what he says to us all is contained. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come, even if you have broken your vow a thousand times. Come, yet again, come, come. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to be able to greet you in person very soon.